You're listening to the Theology Mom podcast. And now, here's Theology Mom, Krista Bontrager. Welcome. This is the show where we talk about God, the Bible, and everything that pertains to God and the Bible in real life. I am Monique Dusan, and you are? Krista Bontrager, also known as Theology Mom. And it's live TV, so we can't go back. We can't. And we just hope that you laugh along with us <laughs> yeah. or say a prayer. One of the two. It's okay. <laughs> and this is the show where we like to comment on various happenings in our culture and in our society, what we yeah. see trending on social media mm-hmm. in light of the historic Christian worldview. I get to play the theologian on the show. And I get to play the average Joe. High five. Woo! There we go. <laughs> so Actually, I'm, I know some things. You do. I just keep those things to myself. <laughs> Yes. Well, we're we're going to try to pry a couple things out of her tonight. So. You know, there it is. Um, hey, helping us with the show. Okay, so in order for this show to run every Saturday, 6 p.m. Pacific or 9 p.m. Eastern, we just can't do this by ourselves, especially because I know nothing about technology. Um, but we have Robert Bontrager and we have Abby Bontrager. it's a family affair it is a family affair and it's done in our living room people don't trip we are like you know keeping it real yeah and doing all the things for all the things that's right and so thank you guys so much abby runs our chat box and makes sure that everybody keeps things clean otherwise she will eject you like just keep it straight like hey i got got the instruction to the curb there it is um and Robert runs everything else. <laughs> everything else. Her camera, <laughs> lights, everything else. Yes. So, and then we just sit down and get to put on makeup and yeah. talk. And speaking of makeup, you have a lot of glitter on your eyes. Too. I do have glitter on my eyes. I absolutely love glitter. Like right under bubbles is glitter for me. I don't know if you guys can see it, but it's there. I love glitter. And um, I love glitter so much that Earlier, I think this week, Abby was wanting to take some pictures and I was like, sure. And she got me glitter. Let me look. Look at this. There you are. I love glitter. And that is glitter. I am blowing glitter. Abby was so creative in this. So I am taking this time to shamelessly plug Abigail Bontrager's Instagram post. And if you are following us, follow Abby at AB dot underscore pictures on insta she yes. she needs the followers yes she's one away from 50 yes yes i didn't have time to uh create the graphic for that so there you go there it is a b dot underscore pictures this is abby's first lower third she's a budding <laughs> photographer thank you all <laughs> Uh, yes. Welcome. Yes. Um, Ryan's song says, thanks, Bontrager fam and adopted Bontrager. I am an adopted Bontrager. <laughs> I am glad that someone has recognized. Yes. yes. This is our family. This is. This is pretty normal. Yes. So, uh, and we do want to remind everyone, uh, check out our show from last week. We did a great show about um, trying to help people have some tips on choosing a church. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure we'll revisit that theme uh, at yeah, some point. Yeah, as long as I live here, because we need to keep. I need to go to churches. <laughs> the struggle is real. It is. It is. But you can catch the replay. And I do want to let everyone know that every week after the show, I put together some show notes um, on my website with some extended links and notes 
uh, for further study and engagement. So if people are like, what was that they talked about again? They can just go visit the show notes. It's at uh, theologymom.com slash all the things. And all the things is all one word. But every week for the show, I I create show notes there and uh, as a resource so people can just... If we mention a book or a video definitions. or definitions, it's all that is all there in the show notes. Okay, let's do the rundown. Yes, let's talk about what we're talking about today. Yes. Today, we are going to talk with Cynthia Hampton. Yes. And she is a former, now I say Jehovah's Witness, and I think that might be insensitive or incorrect, but that's the only other, like there's been no other term until recently when you said Watchtower Society member. And I was like, what is the Watchtower Society? I was quite clueless. So I am really grateful that she's on because I have a ton of questions yeah. and things to ask. Like, is it insensitive to call someone Jehovah's Witness yeah. versus Watchtower Society? I think that's a great question. Maybe um, we can lead with that. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> yeah. And then we will talk about, okay. So on America's Got Talent, there is a choir on there from South Africa, from a province called Limpopo. And I lived in South Africa for four and a half years. And it um, was very exciting when you saw yeah, that. When I saw them. I was just like, oh, my gosh. So we're going to talk about that a little bit just because I think the area that they come from, it's important to put them on the map and to know what's really happening in this yeah. province um, and what's what the uh, the potential for these kids, like where they came from or yeah. where are they What is their life yes. probably like? Yes. And, yeah. Thank you for clearing that up for yeah. me. I kind of I'm, I'm excited about that segment because in our family, we're, we're pretty faithful AGT followers. We watch America's Got Talent every summer, sort of our, one of our family mm-hmm. things. But that choir, I think it just like jumped out at us. Yes, I and am rooting so for them. To they got win. the golden buzzer right to the the live shows. Yeah, so, I am. I am rooting for them yeah. to win. I cannot wait. Um, and then there is no tweet of the week this week. What? I know. <laughs> I know. But we have something really important in its place. Um, unfortunately, on Tuesday. Tuesday, Tuesday morning. Krista received a call that a good friend and coworker at her job um, passed away. And so we're going to take the tweet of the week time to really honor her name is Gina um, to honor Gina and her memory, her life, not just, you know, honoring the memory of who she was, but the, the, the life that yeah. she lived and the legacy that, that is still in place because of who yeah, she was. Yeah. It's pretty amazing. Uh, Gina was a, was a very regular person. She wasn't a famous person. She was just an everyday hard worker. But boy, the the legacy that she's left behind that I'm seeing on social media is pretty extraordinary. Pretty extraordinary, yeah. and um, loving that. So, uh, looking forward to just having a little time of of remembering my my dear friend. It's been a bit of a hard week for yeah. me. So, and then I think in conjunction with that, if you're open to it. I have a question, probably a few A question or 10. Yes. Yes. Knowing you. But (laughs) it's along a serious matter. It's about death. And I'm wondering if other Christians also might have questions. And so I kind of want to not take away from Gina's time, but but also just kind of explore. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, because when, so when we were driving today and um, I was thinking about talking about death, I was like, you know, to me enough not enough churches talk about death. And I mean, it's as real as life. It's going to happen to everyone. Yeah. But you don't see on any church marquee like 
Pastor John Doe, <laughs> today's topic, yeah. death. Yeah. No one's doing that. And so, like, I think that that's a real thing. We're talking about God, the Bible, and real life. Real life also includes death. Yeah. And the Bible also addresses that topic. Yeah. So, definitely, we can talk about that. that. Well, let's get our uh, friend Cynthia on here. And I do want to encourage everyone. I'm glad to see Rhyme His Songs is already starting with some questions for Cynthia. Feel free, if you're joining us live, to go on YouTube and join the chat box and ask the questions there. Uh, Cynthia Hampton is a former member of the Watchtower Society. Hey, Cynthia, welcome to the show. We're good. We're so glad to have you here. And I met Cynthia because we serve on the board together at Women in Apologetics. Sorry, I have to put on my glasses. Everyone has seen my glitter, so now I can see them. (laughs) Or, you know, sorry, friends. (laughs) Hey, we all have glasses. We're twins. Yes. Um, So, uh, yeah, we met, uh, I met Cynthia through Women in Apologetics and uh, do want to encourage everyone watching, if you haven't yet, aren't following women in apologetics on social media, uh, that would be a a great thing to do. There's some wonderful resources there and just connecting women who are doing apologetics. And Cynthia is one of those ladies and specializing in the Jehovah's Witness realm. So we're super excited to have you here, Cynthia. So I guess the first question out of the gate is, is it disrespectful to call someone who's part of the Watchtower Society, a Jehovah's Witness. Like, it, it, would that be disrespectful to them? To call them one of Jehovah's Witnesses? Because they, they do refer to themselves as Jehovah's Witnesses. So, um, and then they will call themselves, you know, part of the Christian congregation of Jehovah's Witnesses. So uh, I, I wouldn't say that it's disrespectful. Okay. Uh, but you, know, you just, you know, have to say it respectfully. Um but I, I would say that if you call them JWs to their faces, they probably don't like that too much. So okay. just refer to them as one of Jehovah's Witnesses. Well, that's a, that's, a good, that's a good tip because if we're going to, kind of in the slant that we want to have in the conversation today is how do we begin to engage uh, Jehovah's Witnesses that we might encounter? How do we begin to build some bridges with them for the gospel? And if you're if you're kind of insulting them right up front, that's probably going to be a very short conversation. So exactly. Yeah. So, um, well, very good. So maybe you could just kind of give us an overview of what Jehovah's witnesses believe. Like we can't probably won't have time to get into all of their particular beliefs, but could you give us sort of a thumbnail of sort of the major story arc of what they believe? Well, uh, they believe, uh, in their God, Jehovah, and they call him Jehovah, and they, they feel it's very important to call God Jehovah. Now, they don't believe in the Trinity, so they believe that Jehovah is the Father, and that there is Jesus, but he is also Michael the Archangel, and he's the first thing that Jehovah created, and that Jehovah used him as the agent of creation. Uh, then they believe in the Holy Spirit, but their Holy Spirit is an active force. So it, it's not the same. Uh, it's not the same what we believe as Christians is, you know, Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So then they believe that um, that 144,000 go to heaven. Um, the rest live on a paradise earth. 
uh, and that only by joining their organization do you have the chance for for salvation. So it's it's basically you know join this organization so you can have the chance for salvation. Now they don't believe that just joining their organization will will mean that you will be saved through Armageddon. Um, they believe that it's your chance to be saved and it all depends on it really depends on your work so that's why you see them uh, going door to door and standing uh, you know at their kiosks you know trying to push their literature so it, it's very much a um, works-based um, religious organization based on what you do um, and and so if you do enough for this organization then you might get saved. So when you, you use the word saved, if I want to be saved, does that mean I'm part of the 144,000 or does that mean I get to live on the paradise of the new earth? What Which qualifies as saved? Either one. Okay. Um, because they, they believe that there are two classes of, of people who get saved within their organization. So they believe that there's 144,000 and they believe that that is comprised of some Jehovah's Witnesses who are living today, maybe around seven, eight thousand, eleven thousand. I don't, I don't know what their number is right now. Uh, plus other other Jehovah's Witnesses who have died in the past that were who claim to be part of this anointed class. And then they also believe that it it's also comprised of uh, first century Christians. So if I'm going to get to the 144,000, obviously there's more than 144,000 uh, Jehovah's Witnesses. So even some percentage of the Jehovah's Witnesses don't make it to the elite class of the 144,000. Is that correct? That's correct. So okay. you're, you're either of the 144,000 or you are of the great crowd. Now, many Jehovah's Witnesses, you know, if you talk to any of them, you know, they're, 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 um, they feel very satisfied to be part of the great crowd because to them that, that means they're going to be living in this paradise earth and that everyone's going to be resurrected in their paradise earth and that, uh, you know, they'll get to see all their, their relatives and all the people that they've lost while being part of the 144,000 means you will never see that person again. You, they are really the ones who will be going to to heaven, which they believe heaven will is kind of going to be like this government where um, one hundred forty four thousand will rule with Jehovah and Jesus, and they're just this ruling class over the earth. And so you'll never see them again. You'll never be reunited with them again because this is just this 144,000 that sits up there as their uh, governing, governing body in heaven. I have a question. Yes. And pardon me if I missed it, but how are the 144,000 selected? Like, is it just like open lottery or you, not? Yeah, sorry. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it's one of those things where um, nobody seems to really know or admit to what it is. Um, I've known people who claim to be of this 144,000 and it's, it's, you know, they, they have this, uh, like a communion service once a year, they call it 
the memorial of Jesus Christ's death. And everybody who decides that they're going to partake of the emblems of, of the bread and the wine, then that's the signal that they um, have uh, somehow mystically realized that they're part of this 144,000. So, and then it's just, it's just one of these things. And I never really knew exactly how they figured it out or if, if somebody decided, oh, I'm going to be one of the 144,000 today, you know, and this is what I'm going to do from now on. I don't know. Um, it's very much one person who had left the witnesses uh, and she had claimed to be one of the 144,000 um, while she was in. Uh, she just said that she had read the Bible and realized that she had a heavenly hope. And so that's why she started partaking of the emblems. So what do they think is going to happen to us as Christians or all the Buddhists or all the Muslims or all the atheists? Do we just kind of, once we die, we fade away? Do we go to hell? Like what happens to everyone who's not a Jehovah's Witness? So if you're not a Jehovah's Witness and Armageddon comes, you're out of luck. You're just, you just, you're going to die in Armageddon and, and that's it. Okay. So there's no afterlife for me as a historic Christian. You, know, you are annihilated and, and that's, that's the end of your story because you did not join the watchtower. You did not believe in the Jehovah's Witnesses. And so, you know, God's just going to make sure that you die and you're, you're dead forever. And there's no, uh, you're, you're pretty much annihilated. Now, I know there's a lot of famous people who are Jehovah's Witnesses, um, like the Williams sisters, Serena and Venus Williams, and Michael Jackson's family were uh, Jehovah's Witnesses. Prince was a Jehovah's Witness. So it seems like there's a, there's a lot of famous people that are part of the Witnesses. Um, were those people like that do they tend to just kind of be content to be part of the crowd um are they super devout like how do you have any sense of that because it just seems like there are a number of of stars nope yeah um the venus and serena williams yeah they were brought up as jehovah's witnesses i think they used to live even in compton and they were never baptized as jehovah's witnesses um I, I believe their mother uh, was a baptized witness, but they themselves never, they're not really officially Jehovah's Witnesses because if you're not baptized, you're not counted officially as a oh, Jehovah's okay. Witness. You bring okay. up um, a concept that I actually have a question about, and it's tied to three concepts. So I'm wondering what are Jehovah's Witnesses' views on baptism, sin, and salvation? Okay, so they, they do believe in uh, baptism by immersion, but when they get baptized, uh, instead of the uh, baptism like Christians have, where you get baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, they get baptized in the name of Jehovah, Jesus, and the Spirit-directed organization. And that's how their baptism goes. So it's it, they used to use the... Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, but 
1995, they changed it. And now it's the spirit-directed organization, which is really odd. <laughs> wow. So, all right. So when we think about the word cult, because I know that many Christians use that word a lot about members of uh, that are Jehovah's Witnesses. Now, I know that in talking to my brother, who is a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, we've had some very hard conversations about that word cult. It's, it's very insulting to him. And I always tell people, you know, if you're going to talk about faith issues with somebody of that, of that stream, like don't come right out of the chute calling them a cult. Like it's going to be a very short conversation. <laughs> so I'm wondering, you know, how that goes with, with people who are Jehovah's witnesses, um, you know, and, and, thinking about that word, that's probably not the best lead if we're trying to share the gospel with them. No, never call them a cult to their face. I mean, yeah, in the strictest sense of the, the word, you know, they're um, a cult as far as, you know, Christian, they're a cult of Christianity, but never say that to them. And, you know, and I also feel like they are a mind control cult, but they don't know it. So um, whenever they describe themselves because I've read in the Watchtower magazines where they will say, oh, well, some people say we're a cult. Well, we're not a cult because of these reasons. And they go on to give the reasons as to why they're not a cult. You know, one being that uh, they don't live in a commune and uh, they don't do this and they don't do that. So um, they consider themselves, you know, you know, God's true organization and they don't believe they're a cult. So, so call them yeah. you're going to not get too far. So when I uh, took the, the class on uh, cults in, in seminary, you know, I think it's important to kind of have some definition there when we use that word. Like one definition of a cult is that they're kind of an, an offshoot of another major religion. And so that's why Christians consider Jehovah's Witnesses to be cults because, uh, the historic Christian faith has been around for 2000 years. The Jehovah's witnesses come about in like the 1830s or something like that. Yeah. So mm -hmm. and then the 1800s and it, it's an offshoot of Christianity. So that's like a kind of more of a religious definition. Um, yeah. But then there's also the sociological definition of a cult where there's maybe like you said, like kind of mind control and, um, spiritual abuse and, exactly. the, and the more extreme version would be like the Jim Jones cult taking people down to South America and having them drink poisonous Kool-Aid. Like that's the most extreme type of version of a, of a cult. So we have to kind of keep some of those, those definitions in mind. But if we're going to try to share the gospel with somebody who's a Jehovah's witness, like we don't want to go right to the cult card yeah. that right at the beginning no, <laughs> might not be the best. Yeah. You know, what? let's um, get a few questions in before yeah. we, before we move along. Um, Annette says, how do they not know that the 144,000 are 12,000 from each tribe of Israel during the tribulation? That's easy. They spiritualize it. So they just see that as applying to themselves that they're kind of the true Israel. Would that be it? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. They just spiritualize it. Okay. Okay. 
then rhyme his song says, how exclusive, how do you get out of the Jehovah's Witnesses? Were you afraid that you hadn't made it as part of the great crowd? Oh, I got out because I had been mistreated and I had uh, been abused by my uh, first husband who was a Jehovah's Witness. And so when I reported him to the elders, they wouldn't do anything about it. And uh, they finally disfellowshipped him a couple of years later for smoking. But um, I started to do some critical thinking and realized that there's something wrong with this organization if they cannot deal with a man who is abusing his, his wife, but yet they'll kick him out over a cigarette. Uh, okay, so do I understand you correctly to say that they they disfellowshipped a man that you knew not because he was being abusive to his family, but because he smoked cigarettes? Right, right. Okay. So, yeah, so anyway, uh, I... Um, after that, I pretty much started to, you know, move away from the Watchtower organization. I had, it, it takes some time to stop believing in it. And, uh, for a while I still believed it was God's organization. I didn't know what to do with it. I knew there was something wrong with this organization, but I just didn't know exactly what it was, uh, until a few years later when, um, I had met another uh, former Jehovah's Witness, and she showed me exactly what was wrong with the Watchtower through what the Watchtower was actually teaching. And I had never um, actually thought about it that deeply. And, uh, you know, it's in, right in the April 1st uh, Watchtower. It's a little uh, back page article called Questions from Readers. Somebody wrote in with a question asking if Jesus was um, the mediator for um, everybody or was he only mediator for 144,000? And the answer was that Jesus Christ is only mediator for 144,000. And I started to think about it. And I, then I started to read scripture and I said to myself, no, that can't be right. So that kind of started my trek out of the organization. And that's when I, when I started to uh, deprogram myself from their belief systems. And now, that was many years ago, way before the internet. <laughs> now, I'm wondering about what hin what are, you find are some of the biggest obstacles to sharing Christianity with members of the Watchtower Society, because I'm hearing you hint at it, this isn't just a belief system about theology. This is also a cultural system or a sociological system. So I'm wondering, you know, what obstacles are people going to run into that are the most common there? Well, they're a very, very tight-knit group. And what you're going to be encountering when you, when you speak to them is that they have this mindset about, their organization and how they need to stick close to this watchtower organization as if it were Noah's Ark. So they are afraid to think outside the box. And that's going to be one of the um, problems you'll find. Even if you try to get them to do some critical thinking, you'll have to do it gently because it's, they are so afraid of thinking that what if 
this is not the truth. They're so, um, they're so inclined to think, yes, this is the truth. It has to be the truth. You know, and they, they, they've given their whole lives over to um, joining this organization or growing up in this organization. And, you know, it must be the truth. And when a lot of them get out and they find out it's not the truth, it's a big shock to their system. So um, you have to kind of handle them very, very gently. A lot of them go, when, when they find out that it's not the truth, a lot of them go straight over to atheism. And that's not what we want to happen. We, we want to uh, lead them, you know, with uh, gentleness and respect and, um, and, and a lot of love, you know, tender, loving care, because um, the first thing that will, ha what will happen to them when they leave is they will lose their friends and family. Hmm. They, they will get shunned. And um, a lot of them can't handle that. You know, there's a lot of suicide over, over this kind of thing, because um, once they decide that they're going to leave and they walk away from the watchtower, um, they lose their family. They're all alone in this world. And uh, they suffer from a lot of depression and anxiety over it. Wow, Cynthia, th thank you so much for that information. I think um, not enough is known about, you know, trying to exit the Watchtower Society. Yeah. And I, I find it very helpful. Um, Diana Jamerson asks, what would be the best approach when they show up to your door? Oh, when, when they show up to your door, well, um, of course, you can't, you know, give them Christianity all at, at the door. But I would just be friendly with them. Um, I would invite them in maybe for um, something to drink. I would, you know, do the, you know, try to be their friend, see where, you know, see what their stories are. You know, if, if they'll allow you to do it, some of them won't come in. Uh, a lot of them are kind of suspicious now uh, because they have been so warned by their elders and their organizational leaders that there are a lot of apostates out there. There are a lot of opposers out there and they're um, afraid, you know, that they're going to encounter somebody who's, who's trying to entrap them. Mm -hmm. So a lot of them will be uh, a very hesitant, but, you know, show them love. I mean, I, I can't uh, stress that enough. That you just need to show them love and um, see if they'll come in and, and, and talk to you, you know, find out their story, find out how they became a Jehovah's Witness or, you know, find out if they grew up in it, um, you know, things like that. Get to know them as a person. I can understand that. And I think um, everyone wants to be known. What are some like common grounds that we could initially reach out to them on? Is there any? Are there any? Yeah, I, I would say that, um, I mean, there, there are certain things that, that I think Christians and Jehovah's Witnesses can agree on. I mean, uh, we, we both believe that, you know, God created the earth and there was, you know, Adam and Eve who sinned in the Garden of Eden. Uh, we can all agree on that. Uh, we can agree that um, the Bible is, is true and inerrant. You know, they will, they will say pretty much the same thing. Um, they will, you know, they talk about the paradise earth and, you know, and Christians also, you know, we believe in the new heavens and the new earth. 
So, you know, you might be able to discuss that with them too, you know, that uh, we believe that, um, you know, there's going to be a, a new heavens and a new earth. It says so right there in Revelation, and they use that uh, scripture all the time. In fact, a lot of times they will go door to door and they will be reading Revelation 21, 1 through 4, and then you say, oh, yeah, I believe in that. And, you know, you could, you know, take some time to, to discuss those scriptures with them. But uh, one word of warning is and don't, um, don't go to something like the Trinity or anything like that. But yeah. see if you can find something that, that, that you can agree on and, uh, you know, take the conversation from there. Well, I had a couple of thoughts. One thing about talking to them at the door, um, Annette, one of our viewers says, uh, they haven't come back since my daughter answered the door with a sword. And I don't know if that's like a literal sword, like the one I got hanging in my living room or if it's the sword of the Bible. I'm not really sure, but I have to, true confessions, a um, couple of times when the Jehovah's Witnesses came to our door, uh, I didn't deal with them very gently. I was very arrogant with them. And I really regret that because I think I'm on some blacklist now uh, where they haven't come back. Uh, the first time they came at our old residence, um, the gentleman was trying to tell me something about what it said in Greek and John 1, 1, and he was trying to make some argument about Jesus not being God. And so I very snidely as a young seminarian said, oh, do you read Greek? And he just kind of said, well, I know some things. And I said, well, I read Greek and let me read it to you. And uh, that wasn't the best approach. So don't, don't be an arrogant jerk the way I was. And then another time they came to our door here and I kind of had a similar, uh, not nice approach. So uh, hopefully people can learn from, from my mistakes. You know, uh, that's, that's not the way to go. Um, oh, Annette says, yes, her daughter answered the door with a literal sword. Okay. I, I just think it's kind of <laughs> awesome that she owns a sword. So I'm going to leave that there. <laughs> it, it, I'm wondering, do you know if there's a list? Am I on a list? Because I've done this. You know, um, when when I was a witness, we had these, um, and, and they still use these, uh, ter they call them territory cards, and they're just maps of various neighborhoods in their, uh, in their district. And sometimes there will be a note inside uh, saying, do not call at this house because, and so that's, that's what we used to do. We, so we would avoid a house if there was a note in there that said not to call at a certain residence. We have another question and I am trying so hard not to mess up your name. It's either pre or it's priest. I'm not sure. Fonseca. Um, and the question says, I've had several conversations with Jehovah's Witnesses. And one harsh subject is the existence of hell. What would be the best approach on that subject? Well, Jehovah's Witnesses do not believe in, in hell. Uh, well, let me, let me rephrase that. They believe that hell is the common grave of mankind. They do not believe in hell the way Christianity has historically taught as they, you know, as the uh, final punishment or eternal punishment. So, but I, I really don't think this is a good place to start if you're going to be conversing with a Jehovah's Witness. I, th I think that though that, that brings up an important point because uh, you were on a show with 
uh, Leah Remini, who's an actress who's very outspoken. She's an ex uh, member of the Church of Scientology, but she did an episode or two related to Jehovah's Witnesses, and you were one of the panelists on that program. And one of the things that jumped out at me that I'd never thought about before was how many people on the panel were no longer believed in any religion. They, they were all, mostly all atheists. You were one of the exceptions where you had left the Jehovah's Witnesses, but were now a firm, strong Christian, in fact, a Christian apologist. Um, so we can't assume that just because somebody leaves um, an errant uh, spiritual tradition that they're going to gravitate naturally to Christianity. I'm imagining they get a lot of wounding from that 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 culture, if you will. And so the thought of moving into a church is kind of a harder road and, and the things like unhooking themselves from the Jehovah's Witnesses is hard enough, but then I'm almost imagining it's a separate journey into believing in things like the Trinity and the doctrine of hell and, and these kinds of things. Uh, right. I think the problem, the biggest problem, uh, most people who leave the Jehovah's Witnesses have is that in a way they still believe a lot of what the watchtower taught them. So they spent either all their lives or X number of years listening to and reading the Watchtower, where all they do is criticize the churches for all the wrongs the churches have done throughout, you know, the last two millennia, you know. And so they will gravitate, they will, you know, show news articles that uh, will expose um, what somebody has done in the church or what false teaching has gone on or, or you know, the... Um, the Catholic Church and the priests who have been in trouble for molesting children and 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 whatever you know that uh, that's gone on and and then of course they will always teach that what the Christian Church has been teaching for all these years is is pagan is uh, the same as pagan mythology you know since they believe that the Trinity is a pagan doctrine so instead of trying to um, trying to study and to research where the doctrine of the Trinity actually came from, you know, they skip right over that and uh, say, okay, it's still a pagan doctrine. And I've met ex-Jehovah's Witnesses who, you know, refuse to even look at the evidence because it's still stuck in their minds that everything is, everything that comes from the historic Christian church is a pagan doctrine. So that holds them back. So that, well, pagan, pagan religion is false. And then when they find out that Jehovah's witnesses are false and then everything is false and pretty soon they're just atheists. There's, there's no reason for them to believe. But what I did was I, I went and I <laughs> made a lot of trips down to the library and I, started to study Christian history and, and Christian doctrine from the beginning. And so that's when I started to believe that the Trinity was true. Um, so 
that that was that's how I did it. But a lot of people don't do it that way. They don't go back to the beginning. They don't go back and read um, real Christian history. If they believe, or if the belief is that the literature from historic Christianity is a form of paganism and it's untrue, do they not then read the Bible or is the Bible just an additional book that like supplemental reading? What, what do Jehovah's witnesses read? Well, um, when, when you are, when you are part of this organization, when you are a Jehovah's witness, yeah, they say they read the Bible. They have their own version of it called the new world translation and, um, and, you know, it has changed in places, but it's not that changed mu- that much. I would say they mostly changed a lot of the verses uh, that deal with the deity of Christ. However, most of, you know, most of what's in the New World Translation is, is probably okay. Um, I, I think that you can still get truth from it. But, yes, they, they will say that their Bible is the main book. However, I have never known Jehovah's Witnesses to really read um, the Bible in context. What they do is they take a Watchtower magazine or one of their um, publications, and they will read that and then refer to the Bible when, when it references a scripture. So all they actually get is scripture out of context. So they will read whatever it is that's coming from their books and it's, and it's giving them their doctrine and their, that explanation. And then it pulls a scripture out of context to, to, um, you know, as a citation as to what they believe. But the problem is when um, the Jehovah's witness, you know, sees that they never take time to actually read the entire passage of scripture there. So most of the time, if you take time to read the entire passage, you'll find that whatever the passage is uh, actually talking about doesn't match with their doctrine. So when I used to teach at uh, Biola University, I taught for a while in the adult learning program. They don't have that program anymore. Boy, that was a great, great uh, side hustle for me. I missed that job. But um, what was uh, I used to do in the doctrine class was I had my friend come and pose as a Jehovah's witness. Only I didn't tell my class what he was talking about. And we were talking about the Trinity in the class. And so as part of the unit on the Trinity, I said, well, I'm going to have this guest speaker come and he's going to do a lesson on the Trinity. So my friend would get up there and he would start deconstructing the historic view of the Trinity start giving the the Jehovah's Witness view of the Trinity without telling them what he was doing or what perspective he was coming from. And what was scary to me was how many of my students who were all adult learners, these were not 19-year-olds, these were people who were professionals, um, my friend was able to take them to scriptures in their Bibles, start deconstructing the Trinity, and after about an hour they couldn't figure out what they believed. And he had kind of turned them into a doctrinal pretzel in a fairly short order. And I, I, what always highlighted to me when I did this exercise is I was waiting for them. How long was it going to take before they, one of them started realizing what was happening? They started knowing the scripture, giving counter arguments, and it usually took over an hour 
before somebody raised their hand and said, wait a minute, which made me think about your, your comments there about how many times uh, Jehovah's Witnesses only know verses. I think that's also true of many historic Christians. They only know verses and they don't really know the details of what they believe. And that exercise worked really well until I had an ex Jehovah's Witness in my class. And then she, she dressed down my friend in about 10 minutes. Oh, that's funny. <laughs> but I, I don't know. When I hear that, I, I do think like how many churches are, and not to harp on churches, but I just, how many people understand their faith in a way that they can talk to someone about the Trinity or about sin or about salvation and know this is where I stand and this is what is true. And it's not to be combative or harsh towards someone, but it's really just to say, no, this is the truth. And okay, you may believe that, but this is the truth. But it makes me, but it makes me wonder. I mean, even when, when you or I, you and I were down in South central last weekend, immediately we were barely like getting off the freeway and there's, the Jehovah's Witnesses walking down the street on a Saturday morning, getting ready to go door to door. And it, it just seems like I always see them in, in the black community and in Latino communities. It just seems like, am I imagining that? Or do they go after people who have some Christian background, like Catholicism, some Christianity that, and then like, they can just kind of steer them into this. Like, What's the draw that they're able to recruit so many people from marginal Christian backgrounds? Um, I don't think that they're targeting those communities. Okay. I, I think that, um, well, where there are kingdom halls in the community, uh, that is their territory. So whatever people you see going door to door, they are from that community already. And there's already a kingdom hall there. So um, every kingdom hall has its territory that they work. So if you belong to a certain kingdom hall there, then you are assigned uh, a territory um, around that kingdom hall neighborhood uh, where the members of that congregation will go door to door. They normally do not cover other territories outside their own kingdom hall. Okay, so something like socioeconomic factors wouldn't necessarily be the draw for them to go into a specific community, but more of along the lines of what I was getting to, I'm wondering if it has something to do with, you know, like if people knew more of what they really believed, would there be less tendency for people to maybe step into be Jehovah's recruited. witnesses? Yeah. Or be recruited. Yeah, I think so. Because I, know that a lot of, uh, let, let's say, um, let, let's, let's just make an example, because my family, you know, came out of um, Roman Catholicism, and my mother didn't know anything about scripture. She never read her Bible. Uh, my father never read his Bible. Um, I never saw anybody reading the Bible in my family. So when my mother began to study with Jehovah's Witnesses, um, and, you know, to her, she was having a Bible study, and so she, you know, gravitated it toward, toward it right away because she thought she was really learning the Bible. So that was 
that was the the thing that that uh, she was experiencing because she didn't know what the Bible said. She had no idea. She'd never studied the Bible at all. So she was easily deceived because you know here the Jehovah's Witnesses came with all these books and you know her friend who was studying with her, uh, you know, gave her all this literature and she had supposedly all this backup and proof you know, that the Catholic church was, was this, you know, apostate church. And, you know, they kept going over and say, oh yes, the, the Catholic church is the great harlot of Revelation 17. And so, you know, my mother started to believe this. And, and so her, her, her study partner, you know, showed her all this proof about it. So, you know, my mother left the, the Catholic church. Is and sorry to just keep shooting them, shooting the questions off okay. is going door to door and um, like having the stand outside or like at the strip mall, like required. Is it more is it's more of a works based salvation? Is that is that part of their salvation? Like you have to put in so much time like we at the kingdom hall down the street here, man, they got those people out there on the street with the literature just mm -hmm. at all hours. In fact, we have a, a picture on the screen here. Uh, mm -hmm. They're in front of the White House. They always seem to like get the prime locations. Yeah, how did? That's my question. How do they get access to all these places? I mean, you see them at the DMV. Here's the White. I mean, do they have? Do they get permits? The airport. They. I mean, yeah. what's going on there? Yeah, I don't know how they work it with the kiosks because this came after you know way after when I left the organization because uh, we just went door to door. You know. Um, so I don't know about what year they started using these uh, kiosks, but I noticed that um, none of them really talk anymore when they're standing by a kiosk. And yeah, they're counting time. Um, the Jehovah's Witnesses are required to turn in their time weekly, and, um, and they do because they want to be considered active members, and they're not considered active members as long as, as, um, as, long as they're turning in time. Um, that keeps them on the active roles. So if you go a month or two without reporting your time uh, to the Kingdom Hall, uh, then you're considered inactive. And they, you know, you don't want to be considered inactive as a Jehovah's Witness because if you're inactive, then that lessens your chances of making it through Armageddon. But this whole kiosk model to me seems like the very opposite of the door-to-door -door model. Like the door-to-door -door model is the Jehovah's Witnesses are coming to us. The kiosk model is, I mean, I, I want to say this as respectfully as I can, but at the, at the in front of the Kingdom Hall by our house, they look like they'd be rather getting a, a root canal. I mean, they don't look like they're really enthusiastic and come talk to me. It's more like they're waiting for us to stop the car, I guess, and get out and come talk to them. It, or if they're just putting in hours, I don't know how effective those kiosks really are because my husband and I tried to go up to a couple um, a couple summers ago in downtown Salem, Oregon, and we wanted to be friendly and we saw them there at their kiosk and we were on vacation, so we had time. So we went up to them and it was a, an older couple with an adult, young adult son. Mm -hmm. And my husband frequently approaches people and asks them uh, if they have any prayer needs and he'll pray for them right on the spot. So he went up to them and we started engaging them about their faith and what they believe. And then my husband asked 
them if they had anything he could pray for them for. And boy, they got so offended oh, yeah. by that. And then they did not want prayer. And their, their son, though, had a back problem. And we could tell that he kind of was interested in us praying for him. And mm-hmm. uh, that intrigued him. But his parents wanted nothing to do with us praying. And, and they asked us if we were going to pray in the name of Jesus. And we mm-hmm. said, yes. So we just respectfully told them, well, we're going to go stand over here like five feet away and we'll pray for you. And, you know, we didn't lay hands on him or anything, but we just went ahead and prayed for him anyways. But yeah, it just gonna, seemed like they didn't even really want to talk to us. It was really hard. Yeah. And, and, and they will get offended. Uh, I always tell people don't pray for them in front of them. Okay. Uh, pray for them after they, after they leave. Um, because they really think that you're praying to the wrong God because if you're not calling God Jehovah and believing exactly like they believe, uh, to them, you're praying, you know, to a pagan God. You're praying to a trinity. Okay. And, um, so if you're praying to a trinity, you might as well be praying to Satan. Okay, so more things that Krista's done wrong when trying to talk to Jehovah's Witnesses. Hopefully everyone's learning from this. <laughs> Terrific. Um, Rhyme His Song wants to know... Uh, if this is a works-based situation in a Jehovah's Witness family, what if one of the children becomes a drug addict or goes to prison? In other words, makes a major life mistake. Can that person be forgiven one day or does the, the parents just have to kind of accept their child's damnation? Well, if someone becomes a drug addict while they're one of Jehovah's Witnesses, usually the elders meet with them and, um, the elders will decide whether or not this person is repentant. And if they decide you're not repentant, and this is with any sin, you know, whether it's fornication, adultery, stealing, whatever. Cigarette uh, smoking. Cigarette smoking. <laughs> and they decide whether or not you're repentant enough. And if you're not repentant enough, they will disfellowship you. And once you're disfellowshipped, you are shunned by everybody from the Kingdom Hall, all your friends and family who are Jehovah's Witnesses are expected never to speak a word to you or say hello to you again. And let's say you're a drug addict, you got thrown in jail or or prison or something like that. I mean, they basically will write you off and forget you uh, unless that person wants to come back and be reinstated. Now, I know some of the Jehovah's Witnesses do go out and do prison ministry. So let's say you have a disfellowship Jehovah's Witness in prison, they could go to the prison ministry that the Jehovah's Witnesses do and, you know, see if they can be reinstated. Uh, But it's a long process to be reinstated. Very humiliating for most people. Wow. So your your husband, Cynthia, made a great comment. I want to work that in here. And then I think Monique's going to have the final question. But uh, your husband made the observation that so many people stay in the Jehovah's Witness church because they're just afraid there's just so much fear and like you were talking about the shunning i mean if you uh encounter the real lord jesus christ and you become a christian you're you're walking away from your faith community your family many of your friends um i'm sure that the fear is 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 very real for them oh yeah yeah it's uh, it's it's very fearful for them. They 
they, you know, nobody wants to lose their friends and family. You know, let's face it. It's a very hard decision to make, you know, to come out and say, no, I believe in historic Christianity. You know, I've done my research. Yes, I believe in the Trinity. And, and to make that declaration to your family, because you will then be uh, labeled an apostate, which, you know, they will disfellowship you for that. But being an apostate in their eyes is just like the worst thing in the world because there's there's no coming back from that. You know, um, to my family, I'm an apostate. Um, I have my, my brother, he will not even say a word to me at all because, because I'm a Christian and to him that's just, I go to a Christian church and that makes me an apostate. So he wants nothing to do with me. If I even try to text him, and, you know, about my mother, because, you know, I'll go and still see my mother and everything. But let's say I'm there and I say, you know, oh, you know, this and such night needs to be done. He won't say, okay, I'll come and take care of it. He won't even, won't even text me back to say, you know, anything. Oh, yes, I got the message. Nothing. He just shuns me completely. Cynthia, I have a question. Um Earlier, you mentioned that your husband, your first husband was abusive, and that was the reason why you left. And in coupling that with the fear aspect in the Watchtower Society, do you think that there are um, case, many cases of abuse within that community because people are afraid um, of being like excommunicated, so then they would rather stay in, in abusive relationships? Oh, I think there's a lot of abuse going on. Yeah, there's uh, there's a lot of women who stay in and they're abused by their husbands. So yeah, and and they're afraid to leave because um, some you know I've known of some women who have left their husbands, then they've gotten shunned by their families. The husbands take their children, and uh, the children are raised by the husband because. Usually he's got more money to go to court with and to fight her with, and she ends up with, you know, just visitation rights. So I've I've seen this happen, and so sometimes they will stay in in an abusive relationship rather than lose their children. Wow! So this has been very enlightening, Cynthia. I really appreciate uh, you taking the time to talk to us, and I think I have a, a better appreciation of some of the roadblocks that are there for many people who are Jehovah's Witnesses and gives me a lot more empathy for where they are and the culture that they're in and the challenges that they have in, in even investigating um, other uh, religions, much less Christianity or their own. Um, I think that what I'm walking away with here in this conversation is a deeper appreciation for those obstacles, but also my need to have more compassion on them. I think too often Christians kind of make fun of them. They yeah. lampoon them. They uh, talk about their legalism. They hide from them when they come to the door. But, you know, we really have to kind of have a shift of heart toward these, these members because um, they need friends. They need counter a counter narrative in their lives and um yes we may find some of their beliefs peculiar like why they don't celebrate birthdays or holidays but we need to be bigger than that 
to kind of be a stand of love for them and to to ask the Holy Spirit for openings to begin to share the truth with them and partnering with the real Holy Spirit about how we can um, start to make inroads in their hearts because Jesus loves members of the Watchtower Society and we need to love them too and love them in truth and in words and deeds. So that's kind of what I'm getting from this. I don't know, Monique, you want to share any insights? No, I'm just floored by all of um, the information that I've learned. And I was thinking, you know, when uh, someone from the Watchtower Society rings the doorbell at nine in the morning, I find it to be irritating and a nuisance. But now I have a, like this, I don't know, this odd feeling in my, it's like my heart has grown two sizes. Um, but, you know, like seriously, this, I feel like um, empathy or this this appreciation for what I, I feel like Christ has called us to in being able to share our faith. Yeah. And how do we do that in a way that is respectful and compassionate with where someone else is? I think that's what it makes me think of. It's like, okay, how do I reach this person? And knowing the formidable challenges ahead of them mm-hmm. to even having a conversation about their faith or my faith and the cultural pressures and possible even abuse structures yeah. that are there. I mean, it's it, this has been very helpful, Cynthia. Thank you so much for yes, talking thank to you. us. Thank you for having me. It, well, I'm just so glad that you came. And again, I want to let people know about how you can get connected with Cynthia. Uh, she has a website, a Blogspot website that Mr. Button Pusher is going to yeah. put up there. There it is. And the XJW's Los Angeles.blogspot.com. And she also does a meetup. So if you are somebody who watches this video and you're trying to come out of Jehovah's Witnesses and you're wanting to have some fellowship with others, uh, this is a way for you to do that. And I will put all those links in the show notes for everyone. But yeah. And go follow Women in Apologetics on social media, right, Cynthia? Yes, of course. <laughs> Also, I want to commend everyone, uh, and I'll put this in the show notes as well. Uh, My husband helped record a little video of you giving a talk at the last Women in Apologetics conference on these issues that's up on YouTube, and um, I'll put that uh, in as part of this interview as well. So that's a wonderful resource if people want to um, continue the conversation. So thank you so much, Cynthia. Thank you. Thank you very much. All right. Very good. Awesome. Well, that was wonderful. That that really was. That like far exceeded any, I didn't really have, like, I didn't even know what to expect, but I learned a ton. Yes. Yeah. So much. So much. So good. Yeah. So good. And yeah, definitely a new heart spot, a little, little piece in my heart for people who are a part of the Watchtower Society and the things that they go through and what would it mean to leave or what does it mean to even entertain the thought about leaving and all of the emotional and mental, mental turmoil yeah. that you must go through even to think about wanting to leave? Well, I think that um, one of the things that I'm going to start doing, and I've already been doing this a little bit, but I'm going to be even more committed to it now, is every time we, we drive by our local kingdom hall, pray. is I'm going to pray. Yes. I'm going to pray for all those people yes. and to cancel the enemy schemes over those people. Yes. And 
the the demons of legalism that are speaking to them and just really starting to 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 pray for those people that the holy spirit will they'll be able to start hearing the voice of the holy spirit and walking them into truth so yeah that was so good Yes, that was really good. I'm really <laughs> glad that that happened. That, okay, let's yes. talk about America. America's Got Talent. All right, you think we should still? Yes. Okay, all right, all right. Definitely. All right, okay, all right. so America's Got Talent. I think we have a clip of the kids from Limpopo. South African Youth Choir. Yes. We're in the colors of the South African flag. Well, I'm glad you said that because that was a question we had was why those colors? That's the colors of the South African flag. Just making Monique smile. So what is... Do you think, now obviously you don't actually know anyone in the choir, but if you were to guess, you, you, have you been to where they're from? I have not been to Limpopo. Limpopo is located in, it is the northernmost or the most northern province in South Africa. Um, I think it borders Botswana. Okay. I did all of my time, or I did my time, but I stayed in Cape Town. Okay. And so aside from being in Joburg, I was in Cape Town all of my time. Um, And yeah, but I know people from Limpopo. And what are their lives like there? So, well, I think there are different, there are different groups, um, cultural groups or ethnic groups in Limpopo. And so everyone that I know from Limpopo is Venda. Um, But they do have like English speaking people. They have Afrikaners or Afrikaans speaking people um which would be like the white south african um so and i can't you really can't tell you would know more from dialect and language like which language they speak um but i this just blows me away i'm just like oh my gosh yes yes south africa come on through (laughs) yes yes um so about the life in limpopo limpopo is one of the poorest provinces in all of South Africa. South Africa has nine provinces and Limpopo I think is or was rated like number eight a couple, couple so years ago. So what does poverty look like? They're like paint the picture for what that would look like. Like do they live in shanties? Do they there are have cars? Like what what do they what does that so look like? So it runs the gamut because okay. there is definitely a, um, unequal distribution of wealth. Okay. We can see that. So you do have like people with money who have cars and things like that. And then you have people who walk everywhere. You have people who live in nice homes and you have people who live in shacks. The majority of people though would be below the poverty line. And so I would say probably 75 to 80% of Limpopo's um, population live below the South African poverty line. Wow. Um, And there's a high number of orphanages or or not even a high number of orphanages. There's a high number of orphans in Limpopo. You know, one of the speculations you had is probably some percentage of the youth in this choir were probably orphans. Yes. So I would say maybe 60% conservatively, if I had to take a guess, um, just because there's such a high number of 
orphans in that province. Why are there so many orphans? It's one, it's just a poor community. They don't have access to much healthcare. Okay. Um, from what I understand, the, let's see. So in South Africa, there's child headed households. How we have, um, who is the head of the household here? Normally that's somebody who's 18 or 21 and over, um, but they have child headed households. And when you think of 100%, of when you when you gather all nine provinces, you get a hundred percent. You can gather the data, make a hundred percent of the child-headed households. Sixty percent of that one hundred number come from only two provinces in South Africa, and they are the poorest provinces in South Africa. It's the Eastern Cape and Limpopo, and they have a pretty even split of thirty and thirty, but of child-headed households. And so, one when you see. I'm, I'm a child raising other children. There's no adult structure um, for, you know, rearing and things like that. There might be kinship care. There might be the aunt who lives down the road. And normally when you have communities or um, 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 what are they called now? I'm completely drawing a blank on because we don't call them shanty towns. Oh, um, sorry. It is. I am completely drawing a complete blank, but it'll come to me. Um, but when you have more of that communal housing, you do find the elders who stand up and say, hey, no, you shouldn't be doing that. Especially I've in the in the black culture, like you'll see people who stand up and say, hey, no, this is wrong or no, this is right. Um, now, are and, you talking about black culture in the South African definition of black Yes. Okay. Because there that's are a different definition. Yes. Than yeah. Here. There are a few different um, terms that you would use like black or you would use colored. Um, yeah. So there are what you have black, white, colored, okay. Indian. So I are believe, those, those do you think one. are black? Or yes. They, they, so yeah. they're kind of the indigenous people. From that area, from, they're they're not intermixed with yes. with white people yes. because that's or, what colored means. It's colored is the intermixing of of two races. Normally and historically, okay. it would be black and white, okay. um, because of slave trade and things like that. So the the intermixing of white slave owners with blacks, but then um, and this is a whole another conversation. Yeah. But you can go up and um and see another. First Peoples group who also look to be colored. So there's, I am not by any means a historian on South Africa, but a lot of the colored people, in my understanding, were from that intermixing of white and black blood. And it was, I mean, it just continued and continued. And now there, it's an entire people who are amazing and wonderful. <laughs> Highly. <laughs> just got to go and give a shout you out. You have to give a and shout Hensel. out. And Hensel, yes, hi. So... Should I be bothered that the head of their choir is a white guy? Like, it, it is that any kind of stigma, is, or is that okay? Am I am I even allowed to ask that question? No, like, okay. no. Um, you know, it, a lot of the NGOs, and an NGO is just another word for a nonprofit. The NGOs there are white run, and when I look at um, Kailicha or Kayamandi in the Western Cape. Those, I can't think of the name because it's not Shanty. Um, but those areas are historically like black areas. 
land given by the government for blacks to live on way back when during the apartheid era and things like that. And now what you see is the poverty, the gross poverty that is within those communities and people with good hearts wanting to come in and say, hey, you know, here, let me give you some after school help here. Let's learn a trade. Let's start start a choir. Let's do something to empower you, to show you that you are more than, you know, what you may see. And so, no, it it isn't odd. Um, I almost think it's kind of expected in Mm. some ways. Um, But I also know of, you know, like my friend's organization, Mido Technologies out in Jamestown in Stellenbosch in South Africa. And he's colored and he's doing amazing work in the color communities and not just the color communities, but also in white and black spaces. So no, not every NGO or, you know, organization is solely run by whites. I do think that there's a large number. And when you go into townships, Thank you. When you go into townships, um, organizations usually are run by run by whites or at the top level, top okay. tier. So white. that'll be our word of the day. Townships. Townships. Not shanty towns. That, townships. That, yeah, okay. Townships. That's this is a whole show and things that Kristen is learning. It's okay. So that's all right. So, well, very good. Well, we hope that uh, they Go far. Yes, and I am rooting for them all the way. They yeah. are going to come through and they're going to put South yeah, Africa choir right there on the map. has never won America's Got Talent. But they could. They could. I can see it. Yes. I can see it. So follow along. They're so good and they're so cute with their braids and their little <laughs> outfits. Yes. Yeah, yes, they got the yes. golden buzzer. So they're going right to the live shows. Yes, I wasn't um, aware that they got the golden buzzer. I think so. No? No. I don't think they did. I thought they did. No? no, that was the other They, they choir. got a standing ovation, but... Oh, uh, no golden was, buzzer? No, no, oh. No. They, that was the other choir. Oh, the other choir. Okay. Yeah. I'm very sad. Yeah. All right. We're going to we're gonna root for them. Yes. We'll be voting for them. Okay. In your mind, and, they got the golden buzzer. In my mind. They should have gotten the golden buzzer. That was buzzer. my reality. Yes. <laughs> yes. And let's get ready to close out the show let's close out the show yes. yeah and let's do so by talking about gina a little yeah bit. my friend gina there she is oh man i'm gonna try to do this without crying so my dear friend gina my co-worker we've worked together i think she's worked at reasons to Willie for seven or eight years uh we've man we've done a ton of things together as co-workers she's one of my uh most trusted uh, associates. She had a lot more managerial experience than I did. And so I would often go to her with my manager questions as I've been learning uh, the ropes. But she was, it's just, she, she's really just the most naturally optimistic, genuinely joyful person I'd ever known. Like I never saw her angry or frustrated or sad. She was just always, even if uh, things were were in a difficult season. She she always tried to find the positive. She never complained. Um, she worked with the youth for a long time at her church. She just had a way with with kids uh, when they would come to the office to visit. Um, she was an amazing manager. She had the ability to do almost anything to solve problems. Just roll up her sleeves and and work and. 
She will be greatly missed. She died in a very tragic accident this week while she was on vacation, and it's still not even real to me or many of my coworkers as we've been texting over the weekend. We're all trying to figure out how we're going to move forward without our dear friend and, and associate. And uh, we were both directors at Reasons to Believe, so we were at the same level on the mm-hmm. org chart. And we just helped each other tremendously. And I, it's, it's just been a very hard and sobering few days. So I can't look at the picture because it's just going to um, make me be emotional. But Favorite memory. Yeah, favorite memory. Um, one time uh, I dragged Gina into uh, trying CrossFit with me for a few months. That was, <laughs> she was such a good sport about it because I wanted to try it. And she was that kind of friend that you could say like, hey, would you be willing to try this with me? She was always um, running marathons, half marathons, that sort of thing. Uh, she was a big runner. Um, definitely hassling her at uh, meetings. She always had three pens, a blue, a red, and a black, and a yellow notepad where she would take notes during the meetings. And I would always be borrowing her pen. I was that person. And then she would always check me about not stealing her pen. <laughs> uh, and if I ever needed something like hairspray or something, I could just go ask Gina if I forgot my hairspray that day. And she had like one of everything in her cupboard. I always used to tease her. It was like CVS in there. But uh, yeah, she just was a, a genuinely nice person. And she just finally gotten married about three or four months ago mm. and had a new husband with, with a, uh, his sons, and it's just been a, a a hard time for all of them. She was in a part of a very tight knit family, and um, nieces and nephews, and that sort of thing. So, yeah, it's just very devastating. But one of my friends, my friend Anastasia, wrote on Facebook this week. I think what I'm really um, appreciating is she's it, she was like. Uh, we don't have to speak about Gina in a past tense. Mm. She was. She still is an amazing person. Mm. She still is. You know, the the person that she is going to be in her glorified state is even a better pr- version of the person that she that she was when she was here. But she doesn't stopped existing. Like mm. she still is. And I thought that's such a wonderful word. Like she still is an amazing amazing person. She was an amazing disciple of Jesus and. I have hope of seeing her again. I've been meditating on the verse from 1 Thessalonians 4 that we do not grieve like those without hope. And hope is really a distinguishing feature of the Christian worldview when it comes to death. So that's been kind of some of my thoughts about that. Hmm. Yeah. I just have one question. One, right. That'll be so, the first. <laughs> well, okay, because because of the comments like that, Gina still is an amazing person. Yeah. And this might be a loaded question, a very long question, and I know we're a little over time, but are we like, what happens? I'm, I don't know. Like, because I think Paul talks about like when you fall asleep, maybe that's Jesus could be Paul. Jesus wanted to do like falling asleep and then we'll be resurrected. Sure. So, are you sleep? Like, does the Bible yeah. talk about that? Like, am I just taking a long nap? Because Lord knows I could use one. Um, <laughs> but not that long. I don't know. You know, like, is it that we're just taking a long nap? Or are you right. automatically 
like yeah sent to heaven so, or like does the bible talk about that yeah the scripture doesn't give us a ton of information so first let's talk about this issue of sleeping um sleeping is used i think in first corinthians 15 and also in uh first thessalonians 4 as a euphemism for death mm-hmm. and it says that those who are sleeping will come back with Jesus. In was that kind of like the PC term for death? Back I th- in the day? It was like, kind of considered like a euphemism. Oh, okay. um, now there are some people, I, I don't think it's a Christian belief to believe in what's called soul sleep, where you just kind of sleep. Um, there's another verse in Paul's letters, and I can't remember which one. I should have looked it up. But it says um, to be absent from the body is to be present with Christ. And then the thief on the cross says to Jesus, Remember me today when you come into paradise. So the thought, historically speaking, like if you go back in church history, and this tradition has been preserved by those in the Orthodox tradition, for example, um, that when you die, if you're a believer, you, you, you go to some kind of um, version of the presence of the Lord. You're in paradise. Um, and those who do not know the Lord go to the place of the dead, um, also called Hades, which is not the same as hell. Mm-hmm. And you're waiting in paradise or Hades for the final judgment. The final judgment hasn't happened yet. And so what I would say about Gina is that she's in paradise. She's with Jesus in paradise. But when we get to the judgment where the final separation of the sheep and the goats or the believers and the non-believers. Um, and then we're ushered into the eternal state of the new heavens and new earth, as it talks about in Revelation 21, or the eternal state of punishment, which is hell. That's, that's after the judgment. So that's kind of the historic Christian view of what it is. But, we don't talk a lot about that, like what happens after you die and everything is Protestants. It's it's kind of like we're not really sure, but I'm just giving kind of the more historical perspective of this is how it's been historically believed. If you go back in time in church history, this is what they believed, and this is the tradition that's been preserved in, in the Orthodox Church. So, well, I, I just don't really see a lot of pastors thinking it's cool to be like today's topic. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it's so needed yeah. because people don't know or they don't understand. And especially when you look at things like our historic faith, yeah. you know, so then if I don't know the historic tradition and what has been held, do we make stuff up? Like, yeah. you know, <laughs> where do you really find it? Yeah. So thank you for answering that. Yeah. Um, I love rhyme. His songs says, look for Gina in your dreams. She is just by the veil, the cloud of witnesses. Mm. That's beautiful. In fact, the other night, um, I just started asking the Lord to bring Gina to me in my dreams so that I could just say goodbye. Now I'm going to really cry mm-hmm. because um, uh, my, when my grandfather died when I was 16, for about two years after that, I had dreams about my grandfather. And I, it was, I look back on it now, I think it was the Lord's gracious way of helping me say goodbye to my grandfather because he died very suddenly. Mm-hmm. And so I've been asking the Lord to kind of send Gina to me in my dreams that I could say goodbye. And the Lord does speak to me in my dreams. And that should be another segment on that. should on, be on another segment. Kind of thinking about dreams. But thank you for that. Rhyme his song. I appreciate that. Because that's yeah. that's kind of in my prayer too. Is 
Um, I'm going to miss her greatly. And um, yeah, it's been, thanks for letting me talk about her. <laughs> and just no, it's do good. this little thing here at the end. Very but, good. Yeah. Very good. Uh, I want to end out the show with uh, just an encouragement again to check out my new videos happening on my YouTube channel about mops. And uh, the final installment in my series on mops might come this week if I can get it all recorded. Okay. Now, um, is this a video on cleaning? Mops? It is. What is that? Yes. <laughs> Mothers of preschoolers. Mothers of preschoolers. And this is a continuation of the conversation we started a couple months ago with our friend Sarah Wilkins from uh, formerly with Mops, a uh, leader with Mops. And I've been doing a series on my YouTube channel about the question, kind of a deeper investigation into the possible doctrinal drift that Sarah was talking about on the show, trying to understand what's happening there, investigate it for myself and to see if, is this real? Is this just a misunderstanding? Was she overstating things? Mm -hmm. And so I'm going to be wrapping that up this week. So got a lot of hits this week uh, from my friends at uh, Mama Bear Apologetics and I uh, was super grateful for the share that they did awesome. uh, about about that. So, um, yeah, I just want to encourage everyone to check it out. And go follow Abby on Instagram at the... Um, A-B dot underscore pictures. This is her upper is, middle third. This is the middle third. <laughs> go there. Yes. We'll, we'll call it lower third. We'll call it middle third. There you go. There you go. All right. Thank you all. Please... Check us out on Spotify, yeah. Google Play, Apple share. Play. Please share us. Um, Apple Podcasts, that's what it is. Yes. Share us. Um, if you thought this conversation was beneficial, yeah. share it on Facebook. Share it with a friend. Um, like us. Yeah. Do all the things. All the things. All the things. And we love you. We, yes. We are so grateful for all the interaction. And, um, and our email. And our email. Yes. Our new email, attlivestream at gmail.com. If you have ideas for the show or feedback for us or questions, be sure to uh, contact us there. Yeah, so. hit us up on email. Um, rhyme his song said, sobering. Let us love well while we are residents on earth. Amen. Yes. That is a great yes. way to round out the show. I love that. Thanks so much for watching. We'll see you next week. God Bye. Bless.